Amen. Well, thank you so much, music team, for leading us this morning. I always enjoy coming together and singing with you. I remind us often that this is the only place that I know of where grown-ups gather regularly to sing together. It's not a typical thing that we do, and so I'm grateful for that. Music serves such a really unique and special role for the life of a Christian because it's not only a time for us individually to sing to the Lord, it is that, but it's also a time for us to confess something together, that we do believe that we are justified by faith. We do believe that there is blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins that is our salvation in Christ. So this is so good for us to be here together today. Well, we're in the book of Proverbs this morning, the book of Proverbs. And if you're new here to the Sunrise family, we go through books of the Bible, a phrase I believe I picked up from Adam a few years ago is we try to be pretty easy to figure out around here. So what you see is what you get. We go through books of the Bible. We read a psalm each and every week and we talk about the Lord from the Bible and that's really our thing. The book of Proverbs is an interesting book because it doesn't function like most of the other books in the Bible. The book of Proverbs is really about a topic and that topic in particular is wisdom. How does one get wisdom? What is wisdom and why do we need it? And what are the effects of wisdom? And so that's really what the entire book is about. And just like the namesake, Proverbs, it refers to these pithy little statements that you'll get. And we use proverbial speech all the time in just the way that we talk and communicate. It's pretty natural and normal for us to speak in proverbial sentences and little uh, catchy, uh, sometimes colloquial terms and phrases that we'll use. And so that's what Proverbs is. The first nine chapters of Proverbs is really laying out the case for why you should gather wisdom. And then chapters 10 all the way through 31, it's a collection of sayings, the collection of these Proverbs, these proverbial statements. And so that's what we're looking at right now. So what we're doing is we're picking a theme each week. And as I said, it's a little bit different for us, but just because of the way this book is structured, typically we would end off with verse 10, let's say, and pick up in verse 11 the following week, but Proverbs is a little bit different. So what we're doing is we're drawing some themes, and you'll see today that we're going to be um, all over the place. So those of you who grew up doing sword drills back at your, anybody remember, anybody grew up doing that? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I figured there's some of y'all in here still. Uh, Sword drills where you had to find the passage of scripture and uh, step forward and read it. Um, that's uh, back from the, those days. Um, I did those um, as well. Now, it's a little bit different. It's who can point to it the fastest on their phone. Um, so maybe we'll do a competition like that later and see who can text the text to me the fastest or something. So Proverbs, we're going to jump around a little bit as we go through this. <clears throat> we're going to talk about pride and humility, pride and humility. And just from the outset, preaching on pride has some dangers built into it automatically, doesn't it? Some of you may be looking at me and say, who is adequate to stand up and talk about pride and humility? Because there's a certain maybe understanding or a certain assumption that somebody standing up here and telling you things has sort of like mastered what you're talking about. And pride's such a sticky thing, isn't it? It's so slippery because just when you think you've got it, you don't got it. Preaching on pride is such an interesting thing and I think as one who preaches regularly, we all deal with this tension and it's not just this week, you really deal with it every week. 
that you, that you stand up and teach, <clears throat> you have a text, and then you have a sermon, and then you have your life. The text is better than your sermon. The sermon is better than your life. And preachers live with this gap. And it's not just preachers. You've felt this as well. Those of you who are parents have talked to your kids about being selfless and loving others. And then all of a sudden you feel the mirror turning on you and think, wow. It shouldn't deter us from studying and talking about hard things, even like pride and humility, though. What it should do is press us into the gospel because the issue isn't how do we cover up this gap that exists between what the Bible says and how I live, how I think. The answer is the gospel is what bridges the gap. The gospel is what brings us in Christ together. So with a sense of inadequacy, we jump into the study of Proverbs today. Despite that, it's such an important topic G.K. Chesterton even said, if I had only one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. Interesting. Augustine was asked what three graces a minister needed. What he need asking for a young man to be a good minister of the gospel. You know what his response was? Humility, humility, humility. Interesting. Why is pride such a different type of sin? It really is a different type of sin, and I think we can sort of figure out why it feels so different to talk about maybe than other sins. It functions a little bit differently than other sins. Let's just play out a scenario here this morning. Let's say that you come to me after the service and you say, hey, need to talk about something. I have a real issue with anger. Um, And we talk through that. Well, when are you getting angry? Who are you angry with? Why is that happening? And we could talk through that. We could really like, try to probe into your heart. What's going on with that? I could call you two weeks later, shoot you a text. How's it been? How have the last couple of weeks been? You know, I've seen some victory over this. I'm, I'm finding myself not slipping into that. Okay, that's great. I'm not giving in to my anger and those impulses. Excellent. What if he came to me after the service and said, I'm really struggling with pride, being an arrogant person. We talked through that for a minute. Same conversation happens. I check in with you in two weeks and say, how's your struggle with pride going? And you respond back, nailed it. You know, I got this. (laughs) Like, last two weeks, awesome. No pride in me at all. It's like, well, wait a minute. As soon as you think you grab it, you don't have it. And so that's the problem. That's the problem with this pride and humility It is such an interesting thing to talk about because as soon as you think you've made some progress, you actually haven't made progress. And so it's very humbling to study pride. And I think that's part of the point. Even as I was putting together some notes, my little ritual on Friday mornings, I typically go to a coffee shop and I write out notes for Sunday. And I was, David and I were texting back and forth about one, one thing or another. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm down at the coffee shop and I'm putting together an incredible sermon on pride and humility. It's like, well, that doesn't really work, does it? And then immediately Proverbs 27.2 comes to mind, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. It's not for you to decide. Many have written about this, pride and humility over the years. Lewis called it the great sin It's really the sin that is at the heart 
of all other sins. We'll talk about that in a moment as well. William Cooper, who wrote the song that we sang uh, just before the scripture reading, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's, Emmanuel's veins. William Cooper, I've told you his story before, but he was a very, very, very troubled man. Um, attempted suicide multiple times, I believe, and just never got gospel assurance. And that's part of the reason he wrote poetry and hymns was to try to assure himself of the gospel. He said this, and what else is the cause of all transgression, all transgression, but that man's ignorant pride will have his will preferred to the will of God. It's classic. So it works something like this. This drawing isn't quite up to the standards of some of my others, but it works kind of like this, all right? Pride's at the center. You probably can't even read my writing. Pride's at the center, and everything else comes from that. Pride's at the middle. You could have things like expressed in unbelief or anger. Anger's really just a demonstration of pride or boasting, or coveting, or complaining, or laziness, or fear of man, or unforgiveness. It goes on and on and on. Pride's at the center of all of this, and that's part of the reason I really wanted to start my themes here with pride. So here will be our outline, and as I said, this is a little bit different from typical, because normally we have a passage of scripture that we walk through. Today's a little bit different. We're going to jump to different Proverbs that show us and demonstrate these points. And so it's working a little bit the opposite of what is typical for us. We've take, I've taken all the Proverbs that are relevant for this and we look at them and try to uh, categorize them is what we're doing here. All right, so you'll see the outline is sort of tapered in and tapered out. The point of that is to show you there's relationship between the top and the bottom, all right? So pride opposes God and then if you look at the bottom, humility is God-honoring. So point two, pride is self-referential. I'll explain that in a minute. Humility recognizes reality, and then pride is self-destructive versus humility is life-giving. So these are the mirror images of each other, and you'll see that in just a moment. So to get started, let's go to Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8. And we'll be jumping around quite a bit this morning. Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8 is a classic passage, and I think we'll come back and spend a little more time in this a little bit later in our study. You have two competing voices in Proverbs. You have Lady Wisdom, personified as a woman who's calling out, follow me, follow me, follow me. And then you have the other voice, which is what we've called Madam Folly, is calling out on the other side. Kind of like the classic old cartoon Angels on a shoulder, devil's on a shoulder. Which one are you going to listen to? So this is Proverbs. And he's trying to catch the young one, the simple one, the naive one, before they make this choice. They're coming to a fork in the road in life. And you're going to follow one of these voices. It's going to be Lady Wisdom or it's going to be Madam Folly. Which one is it going to be? And so she's personified again here in Proverbs 8. Let's read 8, one. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips." 
All the words of my mouth are righteous and there's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who has understanding and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Then here it is, the verses I wanna focus in on. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Wisdom hates pride. So this is our first point, is what do we know about pride? Well, pride is in opposition to God. God hates pride. And that really should be enough to close the case on why pride is bad. God hates it. There's a moral virtue element to this. The fear of the Lord, verse 13, is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate pride, arrogance, evil, perverted speech. They all go together. Why should you avoid pride? Well, it opposes God. Let's see this in another place in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter six. So let's go to Proverbs chapter six. And in verse 16, Proverbs six and verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who brings out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. We'll come back to this text in another sermon as well, but the point I want to pull out from here at this point is that God hates those with haughty eyes who think highly of themselves. We've already seen in chapter one the warnings against hanging out with those people who are out to cause harm, who are out to shed blood, and here we are again warned about those people. James chapter four and verse six, pulling from these same ideas, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. You're lining yourself up against God if you are a prideful person. Is that a scary thought to anybody else? You're lining yourself up against God. Back in my football playing days in high school, I was a strong safety at one point in my life, believe that or not. And I was, uh, I was lined up, and because of the formation they were in, I'd stepped up almost like in a defensive end kind of position, and they pulled the tackle around to block me. Well, this particular tackle, he was 6'10", 380 pounds. All right, I'm not a, I'm not a tiny fella now, and I wasn't then, although I was much smaller than I am now, but I, I'm not going to win that battle. So I sidestepped that man, and he wasn't that quick, fortunately, so I was able to slide around him. But I was just thinking about, you know, for me to just line up with this dude and just smash heads, I, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. And I think about that sometimes and just think, what, opposing God, God is opposed to the proud. Do you really want to be opposed to God? Is that a good plan? You can't win. 
You absolutely can't win. So pride opposes God. Next, I want you to see that pride is self-referential. Now, I know this is a word that you don't use, self-referential. It means he's referring, you refer to yourself. You become your own standard, in essence. I always find it funny when you read like a book or an article or something like that, when authors who have written a lot, they quote themselves. You guys will probably come across that. You know, as I said in, you know, this journal or this book, and they footnote themselves, which I don't have a problem with doing. I mean, you know, write it once, use it twice. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, it makes sense to me. But it is kind of funny uh, because it's self-referential. I'm referring to my own work that I've already done. It's also a term that gets used sometimes in philosophy and other writings. Um, the most famous one here, and for those of you budding philosophers amongst us this morning, here's a little quandary for you that we can think through together. Um, a self-referential statement. It's a statement that doesn't have any context outside of itself, and you can't make sense within it. Here's what I mean. This is the most famous one. It's called the liar sentence. Is anybody familiar with this? The liar sentence. It goes like this. This sentence is not true. Hmm. Some of you see the problem. If you say it's true, then it's not true. If you say it's true, then it's not, then it is true. See how it works? You can't deny it or if it's true, then it's false. If it's false, then it's true. See, it wraps you in circles, doesn't it? This will be a good conversation around lunch. The liar sentence. You need something outside of yourself. You need more context. That doesn't work. And it uh, creates this paradox. You need something outside of yourself to help you see and help you think clearly. I was out with some guys one time um, fishing. And if you've been around Sunrise for a little while, I've uh, told you about this before, but it was a great illustration of this very issue. We were out and a friend of mine invited me to go offshore one day. And so we went, uh, we were a good ways offshore, um, you know, far enough to where we couldn't see land at all. And we're trolling. Um, and it's about the middle of the day, so there's no real reference point. And when you get out, many of you have been out in the ocean, I know, uh, our Navy folks amongst us, our sailors. And once you get out there, it's really hard to tell which direction you're facing at times, isn't it? And especially if, you know, middle of the day, the sun's not a guide or a help. So we're cruising along, and one of the guys on the boat, he says, turn east. Well, my friend that's driving the boat, he's like, which way's east? Actually, what happened is he turned the exact opposite direction. He goes, that's not east. You know, this way's east. And I'm like, I don't know which way's east. And he says, how do you know which way's east? He's like, look at the compass. I said, yeah, that'll help. <laughs> that helps. You need something outside of you. Um, this particular guy, he wasn't a Christian. My friend that I had gone with, he said, now, you know, my uncle's going to go with us. He said, whatever you do, don't tell him that you're a pastor. I'm like, okay, I'll try not to. So, you know, 20 minutes into the trip, he's like, so what do you do for work? I'm like, it's kind of like the, the liar's conundrum here. <laughs> it's like, where? <laughs> well, um, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and my other friend's like rolling his eyes, like, here we go. And he, he works me all day long. Uh, he's just working me all day long. And so it turned into a neat moment driving in, though, because uh, we, went, we went back and forth and back and forth all day, and he kept telling me that I needed to pray more because we weren't catching any fish and, you know, that sort of thing. And so then we're, we're driving in, though, and it's just the two of us kind of sitting, and the other guys are in the front of the boat, and um, we just started talking about life. 
And he, he started sharing a little bit about his life. And I said, you know your problem. I was like, you remember out there when we couldn't tell which direction we were going, we had to have the compass. I said, you are your own compass. And that's why you feel so lost. I said, you need something objective outside of you to give you direction. And my answer for that is, it's the Bible. It's the gospel. It's the word of God. We talk about this. We talk about people with a moral compass. And I think that's actually a pretty good term. But a compass only works if there's a true north, right? You have to have a standard by which the compass, otherwise it just spins indiscriminately. And so the the one who is self-referential, it's prideful. It's prideful. Let's look at where we find this. Proverbs 12, 15. So go to Proverbs 12 and verse 15. This is repeated a few different places. Something very similar. You'll find if you just sit and read through Proverbs, many of these are repeated in maybe slightly different terms and ways. 12.15. It says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Have you ever been in the middle of an argument and you figure out you're on the wrong side of it? Has that ever happened? You got a couple of choices then. You can double down, like, I know I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm in it, I'm in it to win it now, which happens. You can double down, or you can admit, you know what, I'm going to admit I'm wrong on this. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do. The way the fool is right in his own eyes, you, you've determined that you are right, and so therefore you won't listen to anything else. I found a little post that I've, I thought was helpful about John Bloom over at Desiring God. He was talking about this verse, and he was talking particularly about Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, who once he inherits the kingdom, he's, he doesn't listen to the older guys that are around that are giving him good advice, but he chooses rather to listen to his friends that are just telling him what he wants to hear what we would call confirmation bias. He just went and found some, surrounded himself with counselors to tell him what he wants to hear so that he could do what he wants to do. He says when we do this, three things are happening. We underestimate our ignorance. We underestimate our ignorance. We don't know everything that we need to know. Number two, we avoid appearing weak. This is part of the reason. We don't want people to know that we don't know what we're doing. We don't want them to think of us as weak. And then lastly, and I thought this point was really good, we predetermine the counsels will accept. You already decided what you're going to listen to. Now you're just trying to build your ammo for whatever decision that you've made. It happens. Self-referential. I am in myself. I'm right, and I'm not going to let anybody talk me out of it. As my dad used to love to say, he's often wrong, but he's never in doubt. And I think that's true, unfortunately, sometimes. Often wrong, but never in doubt. Another one on this, Proverbs 27.2. I actually mentioned this a moment ago. Proverbs 27.2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. You know, there's something really off-putting about people talking about their accomplishments, isn't it? There's just something that rubs us the wrong way. Now, I know we're moving into the height of political season here, 
And so this is kind of standard fare. This is just what we do. And just to be clear, I don't have a problem with somebody honestly you know, saying this is my record, this is what I've done. Or even some of you may feel a little bit of tension like with a resume. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with accurately representing your abilities, accurately representing your work history or anything like that. There's a difference between that and, hey, y'all, look at me, I'm awesome. Don't you agree? It's all messed up. NBA fans out there, a few years ago when LeBron James, he was seven points away from breaking the 30,000 point mark, so scoring 30,000 points in the NBA, which is quite an accomplishment. He wrote a post on his social media account that afternoon, all right, before the game, he's still seven points away, and his opening line was, I'd like to congratulate myself. And I thought, wow, wow. You know, and I, I kind of wanted to get a hold of his coach and like, can you just pull him for tonight? Um, it, there's something about seeing someone exalt themselves that I think there's this, what is it inside of us? We just don't want to see them achieve it then. Isn't that interesting about us? When somebody is boasting, let a stranger praise you and not your own lips. It's off-putting. Sometimes we bait this to happen, to let, get somebody else to praise us. We, if nobody's talking about us, we try to like, figure out how to get them to. I see this, you know, teaching classes for a number of years. You'll see sometimes a student that does really well and they'll go ask another student what they got on the test. It's like, they don't care what they got on the test. They just know that they're going to get the reverse question, right? It's like, hey, what'd you get on the test? I got, oh, I did good. I got a 94. Oh, I got a 100. It's like, you didn't care what they got. You just wanted to tell them you got a 100. It happens. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Let a stranger and not your own lips. Another one, Proverbs 25 and verse 27. 25, 27. So we were just in 27, 2. Let's go now backwards a little bit. 25, 27. It says this. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. It's not glorious to seek your own glory. One of my mentors in preaching and really really discipleship and ministry in general, uh, Rick Holland, he always used to say, don't be the hero of your own story. And he was talking to us who, when, when you preach, don't be the hero of your own story. Um, don't let, tell stories about other people. Tell biblical stories. Tell stories from church history. Don't always be the hero of your own story. He and his wife were out with some friends one time and Rick uh, Rick somebody mentioned something about um, a fishing trip that he had been on and he had caught this big, uh, I believe it was a marlin, it may have been a selfish. And so uh, they were asking him about this, this thing, this thing that happened and his wife Kim said, you know, Rick, remember, don't always be the hero of your own story. And he goes, oh, that's fine, you can tell it. <laughs> I thought that's well played, well played. Don't be the hero of your own story, let somebody else do it. It's not glorious to seek your own glory. People see through this stuff, don't they? You see through it. You see people that are just out to make a name for themselves. It's not by wisdom. So pride is self-referential. Next, let's move on. Pride is actually self-destructive as well. The great irony is that sometimes we're prideful to try to protect ourselves, but in reality, pride destroys us. You're going to get less out of life, not more. 
I'll read this Proverbs to you, and then you can be finding Proverbs 16, 18, and 19, another famous one. So you look for Proverbs 16, 18, and as you do that, a parallel one here is Proverbs 11 and verse 2. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. 16 and verse 18, you probably know this one. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Pride comes before the fall. We use that one all the time, don't we? And you see it this time of year, especially you sports fans, you're watching uh, games and you see a team that's supposed to demolish another team and they come in and they just think because of the uniform I'm wearing, I can just show up, we're going to win the game and it doesn't work that way. Drives me absolutely crazy, particularly in football when somebody's running down the field and they start celebrating about the 10 yard line and then they drop the ball at the one or they get, you know, caught from behind. And, but again, there's something inside of us wired to kind of glory in that moment, don't we? Like, we glory in it. Don't celebrate too early. There was a race. This has happened many, many times, too. There was a race in Atlanta, 10K, and this runner, uh, Ben Payne, he lost to this other runner right at the end. But a photographer captured this moment absolutely perfectly. Look at it. The guy has the number one up, and he thinks he's won the race, and then right at the end, this other dude comes sprinting right by him and takes the flag. And he slowed up. He slowed up his pace just right at the end, long enough to get past. That's a picture of this proverb. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. You're asking for it. You're asking for it. It's self-destructive. And it's self-destructive in so many other ways, too. We talk about athletics, but it's self-destructive in all of life. When you start thinking that you have something, that you are somebody, be careful. So let's look at the flip side. So we've seen that pride opposes God, pride is self-referential, pride is self-destructive. The opposite of that then, building back out, humility though is life-giving. Humility is life-giving. Humble people are enjoyable to be around, aren't they? People who are humble are easy to be around. Proverbs 22 and verse 4 22 in verse 4, it says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. We've talked about this before, but it probably needs to be repeated again. When you read that and you see the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life, you may think, well, I've known some humble people and they weren't rich and maybe they didn't have a lot of esteem, and maybe they didn't even live long. So how do you make sense of that? Well, again, the Proverbs are based on what we call a character consequence kind of idea. If you're this kind of person, you get this kind of result, and, and they're generally true. Ecclesiastes, on the other hand, tells us, you know, the, the life's got a virus. Um, it doesn't always work right. There's a glitch. And so there are, this isn't ironclad. That's how Proverbs are written inspired general observations about life. There's a pattern, though. Reward for humility, riches, honor, and life. Go to 13. You're in uh, 22. Go over to 13. 
in verse 13. It says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Then one other in 15, 31 through 33, and then we'll take these together. Chapter 15, 31. We see this concept that there's humility and then honor comes. Verse 31, 15, 31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. We need this reproof and instruction. It says that the one who ignores instruction, he actually despises himself. We use another little phrase. We talk about shooting yourself in the foot. We use that phrase. I don't know if we ever stop and actually think about what those phrases mean. Like, that's kind of gruesome, shooting yourself in the foot. But we use it all the time. It means you've sabotaged yourself. You've made it harder for yourself. We have a tendency maybe today to not appreciate and not love instruction. We have a tendency maybe to do what I've called before surrogate sermon listening. We listen to sermons for somebody else. Let me, let me take in this sermon for someone else. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He says, while the minister is testifying against sin, most are busy thinking how others fail to measure up. Hmm. Their minds readily fix on other people whom the message seems to fit, but they never think whether they themselves need the message. Now, if you immediately thought of somebody you wanted to share that with, you may just want to sit on that for just a second. <laughs> All right, just, just sit on it for a minute and think through it. I think that's true. Don't ignore or despise instruction, particularly the word, particularly instruction from God. So pride is destructive. Humility, on the other hand, is life-giving. Let's move beyond that. Humility matches reality. Humility matches reality. It's not self-referential because nobody can know everything. So the, we're taking the flip side of that is we're recognizing that nobody knows everything and we need to recognize that we live in a world where we are ignorant of some things. We don't know it all. Again, the political season is here among us and I think sometimes we are completely unfair in how we expect these things to go. You'll put one guy on a podium with no notes. He can't even have his like, phone to look things up and they'll ask him all these incredible questions and they're supposed to have everything figured out right off the top of their head. Legal, economic theory, well-read, understands history, strong ethical, moral background, understands science and policies, virology, epidemiology, world affairs. How would you do on that stage if somebody started asking you questions about some obscure political leader and the policies they just passed in some country? I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. I don't know about you guys. That's hard to do. And I think part of it is our system forces us to sort of live in this, but humility recognizes I actually need other people around me. I actually need other people around me. I'll just read these couple of Proverbs here, and you can jot them down. Proverbs fifteen twenty two. 
without counsel, without wisdom and advisors, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So that was 15.22. 11.14, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. You need input. His moral compass is only himself. Unity of the limited information that we have in life. And it recognizes that. Lastly, this is just a simple, simple point. Humility is God-honoring. Some of the verses that we mentioned earlier, God opposes the proud. How does that verse end, though? He gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Peter said it in the same way. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? Well, it starts with recognizing who Jesus is and recognizing his call in our lives to repent of our sins and to trust in him. And then we also recognize his lordship. We recognize what he does. We recognize what it means to live for him. I want to end just by reading a couple of verses to you. This is from John chapter 6. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And then here's the reassuring part. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We all have some pride in our lives, and we're quick to recognize that, but we also recognize that God is the only sovereign one. We submit ourselves to him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this some time that we can spend looking at Proverbs this morning and what a profound passage of scripture, series of scriptures really that we've been able to look at and the wisdom of the Proverbs. And we recognize that it is by wisdom you've created this world. You've made it all function and operate by your wisdom. And so now we want to live in accordance with your wisdom We want to live with the grain of your wisdom in life. And this is pervasive. It affects everything that we do, how we think about very practical, common decisions, and also how we think about more profound decisions and what we do with our lives, how we use our resources and time and our friends and everything. Everything is impacted by what we think and how your wisdom changes us. So Lord, I pray if there's some in here maybe this morning who need to repent of their sins and trust in you. I pray that you would use your word, use the gospel message, change hearts, we pray in Christ's name, amen.